it was suggested for us to handle uh, the topic uh, today concerning uh, abortion. And, you know, I really don't like that term. I think a lot of people, especially those of us who have a belief in God, really don't like that term. And I don't think we like to hear it. I don't think we like to use it. And that's why I've decided to call this lesson, if I can turn the projector back on, decided to call this lesson actually Sacred Life. Um, over the next two Sundays, we're going to be dealing with this, and I think that is the best way to cover it. We're not talking about things, you know, in, in dealing with these things. I, I think we need to make sure that we're dealing with good things. We're thinking of good things. That's what God tells us to do. And often I think in this topic, we get surrounded in our society with things essentially that are negative. Let me suggest that someone who is holding that sign can be just as uh, effusive and, and, and offensive and really acting terribly as someone who's holding that sign. And we need to think about this from, from the sense, really, how does God view this? And think about this other poster here. Abortion is a personal decision, not a legal debate. What does that really mean? And, you know, is there a way that we could look at this in a sense where we recognize that, yeah, it is a personal decision. But what are the consequences of that decision? Today I'd like for us to discuss how God views life. How does God look at this? And next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to be dealing with maybe some of the more of the specifics concerning this and the definitions that we can get into and the, uh, the proper understanding of what it is. And we also want to deal with some of the solutions that we see. Of course, I, I think all of us would agree that abortion is a bad thing. But again, how does God view life? And I hope to really tackle that in this lesson this morning. Um, what we consider and think about in the Bible, I think some three basic points I want to look at today, is first of all that God tells us that life is good. Secondly, we learn from the scriptures that God hates violence. And we want to take these two aspects and think about what is the core issue? What is the real problem with abortion? Because again, this is a knee-jerk thing, and we'll automatically say, no, that's wrong, that's bad. We have to ask, why is it wrong? And we say, well, it's, it's obvious. It's not obvious to everybody. And if we want to be stewards of the Word and sharing, like we talked about this morning out of, out of uh, uh, Philemon, how they were sharing their faith with others, if we want to share our faith with others, we better make sure that we have a reason faith. A faith that's not based on, well, this, this is just why, you know, just because I believe this or just because those are our traditions. We have to stand on the Word of God. And so God sees life as good. And one of the passages that we want to look at concerning that is Genesis 1. We're going to be looking in verse 26. We're going to be familiar with this passage, but read it with me. Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Here here we have something in creation that I think we don't see uh, really anywhere else other than what God provides. Um. This is a compassionate action. You look back in the first few verses of this chapter, what was was the the state of things in verse 2? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. There was nothing, and then there was something, right? In that action, this void is transformed into something that grows. We know that something cannot come from nothing. It's impossible. Nothing was going to grow in that darkness and that void. But God made a world where things grow. This action was also full of grace. Think about the fact that He created humanity. And He gave humanity everything they needed to live and survive and thrive and I would even argue that there's really little to no work required because when they're cast out of the garden, what happens? You're going to work the soil. Right? So God gives us life. This is a compassionate action, uh, an action full of grace. Further, we see that God gives His creation a mission. Look at chapter 2. We see this kind of set up here, but look at what's going on in chapter 2 and verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He forms man, he puts him in the garden, he gives him a mission. And I think you know, back in chapter 1 we see this mission and, and generally, this is what we would say is, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. And that's not specifically in order with the scripture, I know that. But think about that. He wants man to grow, to improve, to provide good things. He wants man to multiply, literally bring about offspring. And he wants man to have dominion, to steward the creation to the extent that it's given to him. He is to tend the garden and to keep it, to take care of it. And based upon these passages, if we look further in chapter 4, it seems like 
Adam and Eve, even after the garden, after they're cast out, they go back to these basic things that God had told them. And even in their fallen state, it seems like they go back to the sense that we want to do what God wanted us to do. We ought to go back and actually fulfill these things. We see they had Cain in verse 1. And in verse 2, they had Abel. And in verses 25 and 26, after that situation with Cain and Abel, they lose both their sons. Well, they, they have another son called Seth. And we're told in verse 26 that with his family line, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so it should be obvious when we really pull this all together, it should be obvious to anyone who is a Bible believer that God cherishes life. He wants life to be something that thrives and is successful. Nature accomplishes this very easily when you think about it. Nature, uh, when we leave a place alone, what's going to happen? Nature is going to take over. Things are going to grow. They may not think, be things that we can use sometimes. But we know that that just happens, right? God has designed nature in that way. But we're different, aren't we? Mankind has to choose to embrace this success. And so God wants our life to be thriving, to be successful. And when you consider and think about it, we have a society now that seems to embrace failure. We're okay with failure. If you fail, that's okay. You know, everybody wins, regardless of what happens, right? At the very least, failure is robbed of its needed place as an impetus to grow and improve. At worst, failure is our modus operandi. This is our whole thing. <laughs> and we use failure as a crutch. Again, I think that's related to this concept of the sacred life that God wants to live and the ways that we stop that life. The Bible also tells us that God hates violence. We're looking also in Genesis 4 and verse 8. The first action of what we would call violence occurs here. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. If we were to look at the preceding verses, we would understand and know that Cain was given every possible opportunity to stop, think, and submit. That's essentially what God is telling him in these earlier verses. Look at verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. So Cain had these possibilities, but he served his own desires by slaying his brother, and God punishes the murder of the innocent. Violence is defined in Strong's and other places as injustice or cruelty. There are other ways we could try to define it. But there are a number of examples that we have in Scripture of that word being brought up. And I'd just like for us to look at just a few passages 
Uh, this is really just maybe a quarter of the passages I found concerning this. Remember the reason why God brought about a flood upon the earth? And one of the detailed things we see is in 6.11, Genesis 6.11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 13, And God said to know the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We need to recognize that God does not tolerate violence. He hates violence. Psalm 11:5 The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Proverbs 10:6 and verse 11 Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. It, it, that, that idea and that proverb is just so interesting to me because it's the concept that the mouth of the wicked, the way the wicked is going to speak, is covered with injustice and cruelty. Everything about them is going to be defined by that. Jeremiah 22, look at the reason. Why did God allow His people to be given up into the exile, into Babylonian exile, into slavery? Thus says the Lord in Jeremiah 22.3, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Later on in verse 17, Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Ezekiel 7 and verse 11, Violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their multitude, none of them, nor shall there be wailing for them. Ezekiel eight seventeen, He said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. And then Matthew eleven twelve, and this is a sort of a different use of the word. From the days of John the Baptist, Jesus says, till now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What brings us to this point? Will we allow such things to be a part of our life? Violence is something that God hates, and we need to recognize that and see that and know that God will punish the murderer. God will punish the one who acts violently, who hurts others. What is the core issue? What's the real problem with abortion? Look at Ephesians chapter 3, please. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 and verse 8. Paul writes, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Look at that passage and consider what Paul is saying about what we do as Christians. One of the big messages I get, especially out of verse 10, are that our actions reverberate that there are others that will be affected by what we do. With every decision, look at what's happening here in verse 10. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Think about it. The decisions that we make, we affect God. We affect Jesus. We affect the heavenly host and we even affect the adversary with everything we do, with everything we say. And this is a biblical truth that the things that we do in this life reverberate and there are spiritual consequences for our physical actions. There's a great responsibility to the place that God has established for us. And so who who is affected by what I do? Uh, I think that's another thing that we do is, uh, this is just me, this is just affecting me. And people that enter into that concept of abortion or allow that to happen, it's, it's institutionalized. And that's part of the problem that we face today, right? It's part of the system. But this responsibility for us as Christians, we need to make sure that we understand this is about serving our own desires our own lusts. Look with me at Genesis, back in Genesis 4. And I want to look at one of the descendants of Cain. And by the way, I've dealt a lot, I think, this morning with the concept of violence, but violence applies to more than just abortion. I think we need to know that. Um, But Look at what, what's going on here in uh, Genesis 4 and verse 23. This is, again, this is one of uh, Cain's descendants. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You think Lamech was a peaceful person? Someone you might, you know, spend a peaceful time with and be able to get some good wisdom from? I think Lamech was a violent man. And the thing we get throughout that whole chapter of Genesis is that Cain's descendants were continually embracing the world and the ways of the world and serving their own lusts and their own desires. You have here vicious responses to small slights. I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man for hurting me. I think that's 
the attitude of many today. Look at chapter 19. What was the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, someone says they, they, they were homosexuals. Well, that's part of it, right? But look at the core issue here. In Genesis 19, and remember that the angels come to Lot, they, they warn him to get out of the, out of the place. And in, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 19 of, of Genesis, they called Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? This is not the angels, but it's the people of the town. And they're saying, Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Well, see, right there, that's the problem, right? Well, it's not the outer problem, is it? It's the inner problem of the heart. Look at verse 9. Uh, there's this issue, there's this point where Lot even uh, offers his daughters to these men. So he'll leave these angels alone. And in verse 9, they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. I would suggest that the main core problem that you have in Sodom is a lack of restraint and a lack of control. And that permeates in any sin that we enter into. There is an aspect of a lack of restraint where I know that if I do this, this is going to be something that maybe is wrong, but this is what I want or this is what I need. We all fight those things from time to time and we all suffer those same temptations. Look at 1 Samuel 20. First Samuel 20. There was a time when Jonathan tried to give his father, King Saul, the benefit of the doubt. But eventually what seems to have happened is that Saul became so consumed in his rage against David that he even is willing to try to kill his own son. First Samuel 20, we'll start in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast his spear at him to kill him by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Here's a man, Jonathan, who stands up for David and says, What wrong has he done? And Saul, with no reason, this is a man who's losing his mind, reaches out to kill his own son. Again, because he's, what's he focused on? His own desires, his own lusts. Now, I do want us to look further at Matthew 21. Why do people sin? It's an important question for us to think about. Why do I sin? Why do you sin? Why do we all do these things? And sometimes we do them even though we know that they're wrong. Look at Matthew 21 and verse 28. Jesus says, but what do you think? 
man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. But when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. It is indeed a question of will. Why do we sin? It's because we want to. It's because we want to. And when we look at abortion, when we look at any of these sins, we need to recognize that abortion, as well as other things, are symptoms of a lack of self-restraint. Abortion, I would, regard, I would say, is not really the main issue. The main issue is sin. The main issue is the lack of control that we fail to apply, whether for others or for ourselves. I know there's a lot of different situations that lead to a woman becoming pregnant. And we're not here, I'm not here today at least, to to talk about those situations. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be more about things like that. But we really need to think about, you know, I, I thought about, I talked to Sharon about some of the things that women might say concerning these things. Uh, some things used maybe to justify abortion. And some women might say, oh, it's not a good time for me. This is just, and some young ladies, I'm in the middle of college, I'm pursuing a career. It's not a good time for me to do this. I won't be able to care for this baby. I don't have the money to do this. I don't have the support. I just want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do. Maybe some ladies say, I have no other options. No other choice. That's where this world will bring us to. That's where Satan wants us to be. There's no other choice but to do this. God says, no, you have a choice. You can choose to do the right thing. So we need to seriously think about this and make sure we know why this is a problem. We are fighting a world. We're fighting an enemy, an adversary, that continually embraces self-absorption. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I desire. And I'm going to put my desires above and ahead of anything or anyone else. And that's not self-interest, right? God wants us to take care of ourselves, but not in a way that destroys someone else. Think about what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10. He says in the middle of talking about himself as the good shepherd, this statement that echoes in, in, in me, because it just it speaks to me so, so clearly, and, and it speaks to all of us. John 10, verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give us life. And this is sacred life. This is life that God cherishes, that God loves. He wants it to grow. 
Are we growing in our lives in the way that we need to? Do we understand that God wants us to live? And not only that He wants us to live, but He wants everyone else to live as well. That's why when I look out and see people that are embracing the concept of uh, a woman ought to have a choice to abort her baby. We need to look at them with love and compassion because I'll tell you, 80 to 90% of them are not, don't really know, don't have an understanding of the fact that God loves life and He wants it to grow and to thrive. So let's have compassion on others. Let's have compassion on each other. You need to respond to the gospel call this morning and embrace the life that God has laid out for you, the path that He wants you to go on, that He wants us all to go on. We want to help you do that this morning. If, you're, if you are a child of God that has gone astray, we want to help you with that as well and pray with you and pray for you. In any way, please come while we stand and sing.